of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. We are still in lockdown, still without football, but we are still there for you. I'm Dave Freezer. We're also coming to you on Future Radio 107.8 FM and joined this week by Paddy Davitt, Connor Southwell, and we called the boss in, head of sport, Chris Lakey, making a cameo appearance on the Pinkin podcast. Chris, how's, how's life in North Norfolk? Well, I'm sitting next to my window. I can see, I've never seen so many people running. I don't think the Olympics would have had this many people. And I can tell you that my home in Norfolk is a small town with the fittest dogs in the whole of Norfolk. There has been so many dogs. I actually know the dogs by name now. It's ridiculous. But yeah, life's grand. The sun shines. Um, It's smashing in context. Have you been uh, tempted to walk the cats just to join in? No, no, no. <laughs> I've been chasing them at night time sometime, uh, but herding cats is an easy thing to do. I haven't been out much, to be honest with you. It's been quite busy. I, I think people will probably appreciate that while there is no sport, we've been providing sport. So, um, yeah. you know, it has been hard work. But, uh, yeah, um, it's different. Yeah, in the context of all the very serious stuff that is, of course, going on around the country. But that's not what we're here to talk about. I'm sure you're all getting your your daily fix of that from the news headlines. I have to say, there's only I think it is important to limit how much of the sort of negative news you take in at the the moment, because um, I think it can get to you a little bit when we're all um, having to spend so much time at home. Connor, how how are you? I mean, you've got cats as well. I mean, when I said walking cats, I, I definitely had Tiger King in my head because I've been con- eagerly consuming that from Netflix, which is just the most bonkers program that I've ever mm. seen. And they literally walking tigers and lions around the park. So yeah, I've been tempted. Not quite yet. No, not quite yet. Um, there, there may come a point. I sort of as as I get up every morning, and um, everyone in my in my house is sort of uh, furloughed or student or school or whatever. So uh, I'm the only one working at the moment. So as I, as I open the door to my bedroom, usually both my cats appear, um, and you let them out every day, and and you think, gosh, you have more freedom than I do at the moment. But <laughs> there you go. They they enjoy it. There's there's a really loud bird outside my window at the moment, which I'm slightly concerned for. <laughs> to be honest, because uh, my, my cats have been known uh, to return them uh, not alive <laughs> to, to the back right. door. That We've had we've had one instant uh, a couple of years ago where uh, we opened the back door and there was just a pair of bird's feet. There was nothing else. It was just a, a pair of bird's feet. Uh, I, I could tell you several tales of You're right, as long as it's not an ostrich. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't an ostrich, no, although we have had a bird's egg before as well, so... Uh, you, you do get some weird and wonderful things for uh, being a cat. Weird and newt the other day. Not tempted to walk them quite yet. <laughs> a newt. Yep, a newt. Love and a funnily newt. enough, I know where it came from. And the neighbour who has the pond um, told me the other day, he looked forlornly at me. He said, we've got nothing left in our pond now. So I had to look <laughs> all innocent because I know where it's gone. <laughs> well, uh, I've never had a dog, but I'm from being out on our government approved daily exercise um I, it's sort of the first time in my life that i thought i could get on board of having a dog uh pad how are the keepy uppies uh coming he's still still uh, over 100 114 now dave 114 wow i need to get a football yeah 114 uh, four, yeah yeah, yeah wow. good fr- good friday uh i haven't been out since to be fair um parker's having him join the squad after the lockdown no 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 so. 
my mate Rich, who listens to this, uh, big fan of the show, what we do, uh, lives up in York. Because obviously I threw that in, didn't I, two or three episodes ago. He said, nonchalantly, he went out in his garden, he did 100 straight off the spin. <laughs> so, that's quite quite annoying, really, we're, Rich. We're, we're going to need video evidence saying anything to this. No, it's not my style, Connor. It's not my style, but I'm not a man <laughs> to lie about these things. So let me tell you, I've only done it once, one or four. There's, there's a lot of... 20s and 30s and 40s in there as well. It's a bit of a painful <laughs> process. But, um, not bad, not bad. Yeah, yeah. Try no, tennis yeah. So I highly recommend it. In fact, now I'm talking about it, I'm getting the urge of looking through my window, the sun's out. <laughs> Might have to be lunchtime activity, you know. Nice. Wait. So, Just yeah, uh, that mainly, Dave, yeah. Well, I did want to throw in, because um, we've talked about TV, uh, or poor TV that we'd sort of end up watching now. Good Friday, there was Indiana Jones was on one of those films on BBC One. The one oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which one? Temple of Doom? Is that the one with the skull where they got the skull and they have to carry it back? It's got John Hurt in and, uh, and he's like the mad kind of. They've like, all got a skull, Paddy. Have they? Every single well, thought... bloody Indiana Jones one's got a skull. <laughs> okay, fair enough. It's the one with the Germans, but that probably uh, doesn't narrow it down either. Oh, yeah. That's not Temple of Doom, is it? Um... Uh, and it, it went, the one where he discovers he's got a lad and he's basically the spit of him, but he, you know, he's, he's a bit of an adventurer. And is that the be... one where the, mo- the motorcycle goes through the university being chased? Slides under the desk? And yeah, that it. might be the one, actually. Yeah, yeah. it was rubbish. <laughs> no, 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 it was good. So, yeah, I mean, I just stumbled on that right five minutes into it and uh, found myself watching it for two hours. So, you know, simple pleasures. Uh, I think that's, that's Raiders of the Lost Ark, isn't it, I think? Is it? Okay, fair enough. Anyway, anyway. Uh, anyway, just... yeah, so that, that's what I'm, that was my TV highlight of the week, boys. So, well, just be careful with your keepy-uppies. Don't do what that Villa striker did and knock his window through. <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't yeah. see that, yeah, I didn't see that. <laughs> yeah. I bet. Who was that? Uh, I can't remember which player it was, but I bet his other half was not impressed. Yeah. <laughs> Me and my dad once did that when I, I was a kid. His manager with, uh, was. <laughs> with, um, with a cricket ball and the, the garage window stayed broken for uh, for quite a while and the stepman was not imp- impressed. Anyway, um, where are we at, Pad? With, with lockdown, with... Uh, I think it's just more opinions every week, isn't it, really? I mean, I, I've seen that we've had the, the Brighton chief executive with the... Palace manager Roy Hodgson um, and everybody's just sort of speculating but I thought the line from the Brighton chief exec was quite interesting in terms of the lawyers are going to be busy because there's no way you're going to keep all the clubs all the officials happy are you? No absolutely not uh, and, and also what that's Paul Barber is, is the gentleman you mentioned there Dave he did also mention in that interview which I think went out over Easter on Brighton's channels that that aspect yet yeah, but the actual aspect of when they get back he said look when the death rate sadly in this country is up around you know as it was then the 900s were at 700s but there's a lot of talk obviously we don't need to get into the, the accuracy of the numbers and the inclusion of the care home numbers sadly but when you're at those levels on a daily basis it's not even something you can discuss when football comes back because it's totally inappropriate it's inconsequential in the bigger scheme of what we're all going through living through day after day um but hypothetically, yeah, if football does come back, then when it comes back, will will impact hugely on the, the the contractual side. I mean, FIFA have talked about they will they they will put procedures in place to allow player contracts and the transfer window to to wrap around any proposed you know resumption of of the current season. But um, 
we're all in hypothetical territory. So um, lawyers may well be getting busy if, if it comes to light that a resumed season it goes beyond June the 30th, which is the, the usual date for, for player contracts, certainly. And uh, Norwich, not so much. I think that would impact on them. We've talked about this before. I don't think there's any what you'd call frontline options. Are we going to be out of contract? Alex Tete was the one who they got sorted. Um, but there will be other clubs who clearly will be concerned that what that means in terms of moving forward. Um, but, you know, everything we talk about in this context, we have to caveat with there's far more important things to worry about. Um, and in that context, we're no nearer knowing when football will resume. There is another Premier League shareholders meeting schedule for this coming Friday, I believe. Um, whether that provides clarity, hard to see because we're still being told we're not at the peak in terms of the health curve. And until we are, then I don't think anything definitive is going to give it, be decided. Um, I, I've seen in the last 24, 48 hours about League One and Two clubs now starting to sit down and talk collectively about player wage deferrals. And uh, did Rick Parry, I think, is EFL's chief exec or something in the EFL, had written to clubs and saying they could complete the season in 56 days. And you know, there's been a bit of pushback on that. But ultimately, the football wouldn't be doing their job, I suppose, if they wasn't making plans. But when those plans actually become actual reality, I think is completely dependent on the health situation. And at the moment, we're the wrong side of the curve. So it's all hypothetical, isn't it? Yeah, and those hypotheticals have got to be in place um, for when when the button can be pressed, really. Um, and I guess it's still most likely that we're going to see games in some form behind closed doors. But Connor, we did talk about Belgium, didn't we? And um, Rocky Bashiri being out on loan there at St. Truidense and that their season has been cancelled. But I think UEFA have actually pushed back on it, haven't they? And said that they're not that pleased with it being ended. No, they're not. And, and I think that was the reaction at the time. It was it was kind of that they'd got a body away from the league to sort of decide how, how best to do it. And that was the solution they came up with. And, and you have to say, given the situation is that they had one game left and pretty much everything, I think, bar the relegation playoffs had been decided, then it's fairly logical, providing you can come up with a solution to the to those playoffs. But then there's an argument to say, well, OK, you could have them as a little pre-season tournament and you could have them uh, whenever the, the the football gets underway and when it's safe to do so. But, um, yeah, there, there has been pushback on that, which which I think is, is probably surprised a few others in football and, and perhaps shows that this desire not to void the season is, is perhaps coming from even above the Premier League and even coming from, from above those governing bodies. So it's a, it's a really difficult situation, I think, for everyone because not one solution that I've heard proposed at this moment in time um, is is completely just and, and it, it is completely 100% um, without, without fault. And for every situation, you've got a number of, of pros and cons and uh, do you avoid the season? Well, OK, then you're almost allowing those who have struggled this year, Norwich as, as a prime example, uh, another opportunity with perhaps uh, £100 million that they wouldn't have got otherwise to, to say, have another go. Um, whilst, of course, Liverpool not winning the title and we can get into to stuff like that. And, that. and that's just England. And, and when, you, when you're talking about um, over the continent doing that with, with the French League, La Liga, which which isn't decided title-wise, Bundesliga, which, which isn't decided title-wise, then I think it becomes very difficult. So for me, the solution has to be they they have to find a way to end it. It's just a case of how they do it and, and when it's safe to do so. And I've always sort of said that it would be a shame if if it ends up behind closed doors. But I think for most of Europe now, that's that's the reality that they're facing. That is going to have to be behind closed doors football. And um, unfortunately, 
that they're going to have to be games without supporters, which is going to be very, very tough for everyone. And I think for for some supporters, there is anger about the way that football have, have has, has handled this crisis. I think from from all levels, it, it does feel a bit um, leaderless. I suppose they, they, they haven't really taken ownership of it. And, and again, it's it's difficult because it's unprecedented and no one yeah. sort of has, has been in this before. But it, it has felt quite responsive. And, and Paddy said about the, the Premier League meetings, but equally. Um, every week it seems to be them just pushing things back a little bit and, and buying themselves a bit more time. You can only do that for a certain amount of time before before people get frustrated. And obviously with more pressing matters, I think um, football has rightly taken a back seat. And for me, the, the discussion around when it continues feels a little bit, uh, I don't know, it feels a little bit uncomfortable, I guess, at the moment when, when you've seen all those, those death statistics. And, and I think for most people it does as well. And I think football has to make sure that it's not seen to be um, a little bit uh, untasteful, I suppose, in, in the way it's operating. And, and maybe that's behind the Premier League's thought process. But it's very difficult to see how this resumes and, and how they can solve this issue because it's uh, it's there's no solution that I've heard is, has been really 100% viable at this moment in time. No, I think you have to give a little bit of uh, leeway to everyone. And, uh, yeah. you know, for, for instance, if you take this to the top of this situation, there is a little bit of anxiety around the government not putting out further details about how we're going to move out of lockdown. I mean, Labour yeah. sort of putting the pressure on now saying, you know, give us a an idea of what's going to come. So, you know, football is sort of a similar situation in, 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 a, a, in a less important scenario. So, um the whole situation, I do think we need a little bit of feedback. Um, Chris, obviously, you've been involved with football for, for a long time. Um, clearly never been involved in, in anything to this extent. But what do you make of it all? I, I heard our friend, columnist, colleague, uh, Chris Gorham, um, Radio Norfolk's commentator, of course, he, he floated quite an interesting idea on, mm. on the scrimmage last week, which was to basically um, cancel the season and then pick it up again in a year's time. So go back in, in March 2021, you pick up the season where it was. And then once we're allowed to play football again, say that's in November, December, January, whatever that is, to ha- have like a big tournament, I guess like a League Cup or something like that, where a lot of the funds raised go towards the NHS. That's mm. effectively like a big pre-season. So that's just sort of another uh, interesting one. I, I think the, the issue with that would probably be transfers you know our, our club's going to have the same squads if you come back in in a year's time it's so complex but what do you sort of see as the most likely outcome as as we sort of stand today cool cheers for that <laughs> <laughs> hospital pass it's, there are there are millions of, of different issues arising not least the finances not least i mean i, I personally think next season's uh knockout competitions should be put on hold to accommodate league games from this season and a new season. Um, I think uh, any winter breaks go by the, the board as well. We may have to extend next season a little bit more, but then you have the Euros coming up, which you wouldn't have had. Um, then you've got sponsorship deals that are re- already in place that are problematic. Um, and you also mustn't forget that um, it's behind closed doors football is okay just to get results out of the way. But um, it's not okay for a football club that has half a dozen matches to organise and play behind closed doors without any income from supporters. Um, The lower you go down to the leagues, and don't forget as well, uh, if you're a middle table, if you're bang slap in the middle of of a league and you're told, look, you're going to play behind closed doors, um, you'll say, why? 
it's nothing to do with us. Yeah. You know, it's, it, there are teams who have got the, the whatever happens, their position won't change. You know, they can't be relegated, can't be promoted or anything. So, you know, there are so many different issues. I certainly I quite like the idea of doing something proper with um, a competition for the NHS. Yeah. Um, but a part of me says a Tory government should be doing that. A Tory <laughs> government should be looking after the NHS. So um, I'm afraid that, that whilst I think it's a, a good thing for football to do, we shouldn't be in a position where it has to do it. I, I can't even begin. The, the one thing we haven't got is a date because a lot of it revolves around the date when things become normal enough for us to have some semblance of normal life. Um, nobody knows when that is. No. You know, we that, can't that, tell. Once you've that, got a date, then you can start organising and working things out. Without that, don't know. Don't forget as well that um, this goes down to a certain level. Steps three to seven have already cancelled their seasons, expunged all results, and that has not gone down well. Three to um, seven of non-league, that is. Yeah, of non-league, yeah. 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 Uh, and uh, the league that Kings Lynn are in, they're currently waiting. Yeah. They don't know, and they might not know until next week. They're being told to vote alongside what the league board says, which is, let's scrap the season. The next vote is, then do we decide we're going to have promotion or relegation or not? Um, a little bit democracy would help. Um, yeah. I don't think all clubs. I had a, a man uh, who was involved in a Norfolk Youth Combination League team uh, email me back and forth last night about his team. Uh, he has an interest in why have we been told our results count for nothing? The last season, if we want to call it the current season, must have some relevance. It must yeah. have some relevance. It cannot just be expunged. I think. And I tell you what, if it is, pay back all the money the footballers paid in fines. Won't do that, will they? There's got to be a bit of common sense to to it, though, in terms of that's such a low level, isn't it? That it, it doesn't mean Probably anything not, but for the in the big team things. In it, the, the, the results do. Not the finances, yeah. but the results do. And all the way from top to bottom, what you've just done the week before, you know, the last week you were playing, it should mean something. Yeah, well, no one can take away the reality of it, can they? They might be officially expunged from records, but, well, we, um, but you, if you're, you know if you're it happened, Kingsland then. Town, you're second in the table, done absolute cartwheels to get there. Yeah. And suddenly somebody says, no, that's shocking. Can't do that. Can't yeah. do that, in my view. I'm sure Norwich City will be desperate to hang on to some of their results from earlier this season. The uh, 5-1 at home to Villa and 2-0 yeah. at home to Watford. They don't want them being expunged. <laughs> well, I'm afraid, you know, if it's points per game, Norwich get relegated. Yeah. And, yeah, well, and deservedly yeah. so. You know, I'm sorry, but, you know, it is deservedly so. But anyway. And that, that moves things on nicely. Thanks for that question. I don't have the magic wand. <laughs> <laughs> um, don't worry, I've got a hospital pass coming for, for Paddy as well. Because um, we're, we're going to move it's on right. to furloughing. He'll, he'll juggle it for 140. You've just stopped my line now. I think I've got to go and do me keep the office now, Dave. <laughs> I'm just getting an important call. It's, uh, it's Stuart Weather. Sorry. <laughs> um, yes, furloughing. Uh, let's go there. There's been a lot of talk, a lot of uh, rubbish spouted, I would have said as well um, about it. Um, and Essentially, the Norwich City situation, it, it shouldn't be judged in the same way that the national headlines are talking about Tottenham, Liverpool and even Bournemouth. You know, Bournemouth have got a billionaire owner. We all know the reality at Norwich City is they are a self-funding club. So them 
furloughing their off-field staff is a, is a very different deal, isn't it, Pad? And, and you were doing a bit of digging on sort of the, the loss they're expecting to make, weren't you, in a, in a piece you did at the end of last week? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, two things before we get into it. I mean, you talk about the ownership and there is a huge disparity between wealth in terms of Premier League owners between Norwich and, and the rest. That, that That's indisputable, I think. But also, what is the difference between those clubs you quoted? It's essentially that they've had multiple years of Premier League income. You know, Norwich only came up last season and came up with, by their last set of recorded accounts, uh, a big deficit. Um, before they even got started, before they received any money, they, they came up with a deficit. Um, hence why they had to sell the players they had to sell in, in previous summers under Weber and Farker. So that's the background to why Norwich have done that decision. And any parallels you draw with them in any Premier League club is wrong, in my opinion. Now, the issue is, for those who still don't agree with it, that they look at it as a Premier League club, access to Premier League revenue. They shouldn't be using a government subsidy, to, to, to use that phrase, um, and, and, and morally, it's wrong. So people are entitled to have that view. But as I say, if, if you accept the premise that Norwich don't have the financial backdrop to any other Premier League club, um, and as they made it clear when they confirmed they were furloughing some non-members of playing staff, that was to safeguard the future of the club. That's the top and bottom of it. So, you know, I would tend to be uh, willing to, to sort of side with how Norwich as a club have approached this rather than those quite rightly you feel, you know, morally it, it is wrong that a Premier League football club needs access to government funds. Um, and then to pick up the point you mentioned there, that is by all accounts what they're looking at. If football didn't resume this season, separating the broadcast revenue, which they would obviously not get the full amount that they're due and there's talks of rebates and so on and so forth, um, but what is indisputable is that they, they've estimated or they're working or modelling to a potentially 15 million loss in match day income, uh, season ticket refunds, uh, casual ticket refunds, the commercial elements, you know, their, their main sponsors, Daffabet. I think there's talk that if, again, the season didn't restart, then there would be monies that maybe they've been paid that would have to go back. So all of these strands, you pull them together and inside the club, they are having to really seriously think how they plug a 15 million hole because that was money that they would have budgeted to be receiving. Nobody could really have foreseen we'd be in this situation. Um, and that's then before you even get into the, the, the loss of broadcast monies. Bournemouth were quite, uh, sorry, Bournemouth Burnley were quite clear a couple of Saturdays ago. Official statement went out. If the season doesn't resume, they're in for a 50 million deficit, 5-0. The bulk of that is the broadcast revenue. Norwich's figures might be quite as graphic as that, but they're certainly going to be upwards of 30, 40 million deficit that was budgeted for that isn't coming in. So in that context, when you're a self-sustaining, self-financing, self-funding club, if they've taken the option to go down the furlough route to protect jobs and protect their staff, with the caveat, of course, that they've topped up wages, so no member of Norwich's staff has been furloughed and is earning less money than they were before. Um, I personally think they've done what they feel they had to do and they were right to do. And, you know, it's not a good look, agreed. I, I can see that aspect, particularly now I think Bournemouth are the latest club, as Tottenham have, as Liverpool have, who initially suggested they were going to use the furlough scheme and have now rode back from that, which basically leaves Norwich and Newcastle and 
you know, that's probably not good company to be keeping. But again, it's that for me, the final point I would make is if you're comparing Newcastle's wealth with Mike Ashley and, you know, his massive business empire with Norwich City and their owners, then it is chalk and cheese. So, you know, it isn't fair, I don't think, for Norwich to be criticised for using the furloughing scheme. And to be fair, we carried it yesterday, Gary O'Neill, former player, who, who, who questioned the timing of the Sinani deal, but mm. didn't question Norwich's right to furlough. He, he, he knows that Norwich are a club that don't have the financial wherewithal of these other Premier League rivals. And so if they feel they've had to do that, in Gary O'Neill's words, then he, he would say that is the right thing to do. So, you know, there probably isn't going to be a right or wrong answer to this. People have, have taken their view on it. And, and as I say, there's moral dimensions as well as financial. But I think ultimately you have to trust the people who are, who are the custodians of the football club. And, and that's not so much the owners, but the executive committee. And they, at every stage in the last season or two, have tried to do what's best for the club. Um, and I, I, I would look through what's happening with the furloughing scheme through that filter that they're trying to do the best for the club. End of. One thing, a, a couple of things I'd add to that as well, actually. I mean, you, you mentioned there, of course, um, it's some off-field staff. It's not all of their off-field staff. And we're not talking players here. I think if you're talking about paying uh, players with furloughed money, I think that's a totally different dimension. Uh, of course, some lower league clubs are having to look at that because their finances compared to Norwich are in far more delicate situation. In a way, Norwich are in a stable position. But just to reflect a little bit, if you remember back on the finances, they had seen a £38 million profit, uh, sorry, loss um, in the last set of accounts. That was due to be probably about a £16 million profit this year they were forecasting. So that is now... That £15 million loss that they're probably going to make means that that profit is going to be gone. That is just in like in basic terms. But also, the, th- the big thing is they've got relegation hanging over their heads. That is a drastic loss in revenue. Let me just... I've got some figures here. Um, so, their drop in turnover... This is Norwich City's drop. From when they were in the Premier League in 2016, their turnover was £98 million. After relegation, the next year it dropped to 75 million. 2017-18, it dropped to 61 million. And then 2018-19, the season that thankfully they got promoted and got themselves out of a financial hole, their uh, turnover was 33.7 million. So once you're out of the Premier League, we all know that income just goes off a cliff. It's huge. That's why they have to have parachute payments. Norwich have had to budget for being relegated. That's how they set out at the start of the season in terms of finances. And as we stand here today with, what is it, nine games uh, left of the Premier League season? I've forgotten how many games we we played now, or was it eight games left? Um, They are bottom of the league and well on course for relegation. So that, of course, they still have to budget for that huge amount of loss. The one final point I would make is that Norwich City are a considerable taxpayer. So they, why shouldn't they be able to take money back from the government? The Premier League in 2016-17 was worth £3.3 billion in tax. The Premier League alone, not the whole of English football, but just the Premier League to the government, to the country. So why should a major taxpayer not be able to turn to that for off-field staff who uh, it is maintaining jobs? We're talking about people in the ticket office who probably earn 18, 20 grand a year. We're not talking about footballers here earning 10 grand a week. It's a very different issue. So I think we've covered... We've just in that brief discussion, we've shown how complex that is. And you cannot just sum this up in a snarky little tweet 
um, saying, oh, Norwich City are a disgrace for doing that. That's what annoys me. And, and generally, the discussion of football on Twitter is so pointless because it's far more complex than 240 characters to discuss something properly. Um, anyway, so let's, we could go on about this all day. I think that's probably that. So, Connor, let's go back to Dan El-Sanani. That was announced on Friday, wasn't it? And Gary O'Neill very uh, sort of unwisely talked about it and has sort of tried to almost sort of shamed Norwich a little bit. And, and he was quite inaccurate in what he was saying. But Dan Elsonani is the one big bit of business. He was the sort of Good Friday present for Norwich fans, wasn't he? Was that, was that for me? Sorry, for I missed you. Yeah. Uh, uh, cut out a minute there. Oh, sorry. Did you not hear that? <laughs> Dan Elsonani was confirmed on Friday, wasn't he? So yeah, that yeah. that was sort of a Good Friday Easter present for Norwich fans confirmed. But people who didn't know this situation that we've just been discussing in terms of Norwich being a self-funded club have almost tried to use mm. that as a stick to beat them with, haven't they? Yeah, I, I think given what we've just been discussing, it's the context, isn't it? And the, the context that, that Paddy and yourself have laid out there as well. I, I think people hear Premier League and um, instantly that that becomes money doesn't it and and it becomes a, a moral issue in itself but you've got to almost remove Norwich from that because of the way that they're uh, well just the disparity in wealth and uh, as Paddy discussed and, and equally the way they run the club because they don't have majority shareholders who um, pump in loads of money constantly or they don't work out um, a, a bill and then it gets sent off to the owners and they sign it it's, it's not like that they, they have to almost spend within their means and, and I can understand why people are saying this about the Sonani deal but um, equally it's it's a, a free transfer for a guy who's playing in Luxembourg so yeah. the wages aren't going to be immense anyway um, it's it's not as if they've paid 10 million pounds and have broke their transfer record for um, a, a striker or, or whatnot and, and I can understand it from a like a a public issue and, and like a, um, a messaging issue. It doesn't send out the best message and it doesn't particularly look great. But given the context that we've said, I think it was more partly due to the fact of all the talking he's done in Luxembourg, but equally, as you said there, because there are going to be a lot of supporters who perhaps are on furlough, who are missing football, who are um, struggling a little bit. And it does give people a lift. Football has, has that power. And for all the negative talk around this deal and, and the way it's been announced, there's also a positive aspect to it as well. And I think that needs to be remembered in, in the discussions that people have around um, why they've decided to announce the deal when they have, because ultimately this is a player um, making his dream move to, to a club um, that is significantly bigger than the one he plays for at the moment. So with all of that context, for the player as well, for the fans, for the club, I think it, it made... A lot of sense to do it um but yeah I, I can understand why it's not a good look and why people perhaps question the financials involved but we don't need to talk too much about mr sanani because i feel like we've been talking about him for months <laughs> um but he will be an Norwich city player whether that means he goes out on loan or not it's impossible to tell because we don't even know when next season potentially going to start at this stage so i think we can park those sort of debates let's come on to the pink and poser and we had quite a few responses in last week um we asked who are the most underrated or underappreciated Norwich City players um I went for Anthony Pilkington Pad went for Stephen Whitaker Tony went for Jason Shackle and Connor went for Andrew Sermon which I quite liked I think I I would I, I would go with Sermon over Pilkington after hearing your uh, your argument for it Connor um Chris I'll come to you for your one um in a little 
uh, in just a minute, yep. but let's have a few other responses. Um, and there was a, your Whitaker uh, suggestion got a few uh, responses, <laughs> Pad. Um, but also, Mr. Morrison came up quite a lot, which uh, we all now know is uh, <laughs> a touchy subject with yourself. I'll definitely go and do my keeping up. He's now, Dave, if we have to talk about how good Steve Morrison was. So, um, Mark Woodruff said uh, Malky Mackay. Um, and Ian, uh, which is at Ian underscore M1, he agreed with Andrew Sermon. Um, mm. For an option further back, he suggested uh, Mark Barham. Uh, Matt Gregory said Dixon Atuhu felt he was given a bit of a, a bit of stick sometimes, but had the physical attributes to be a top player. Eventually left for Fulham in the Premier League, but felt he could have gone higher, uh, and that was four hundred fifty thousand. Uh, Nat G says Steve Morrison, no doubt, was attacked by fans in quotation marks because he wasn't Grant Holt. Some same crap that a lot of current players get. Campwell being one last season because he wasn't Emmy Buendia. Darren Smith suggested Steen Nedegaard. I think that's, that's a decent little uh, shower. He was almost a bit of a cult hero as well, wasn't he? Um, Michael Garwood says Steve Morrison scored some vital goals for us. Seemed to suffer from some odd belief that he and club legend Grant Holt didn't get on. Mark Davies says Mark Barham. Uh, FPL Farker agrees with Sermon. Tommy Dangerous, what a name, uh, suggests Darren Kenton. Um, Chris Nunn agrees with Anthony Pilkington. Uh, just a couple more. Uh, yeah, this was a good one. Joe Bullock, underappreciated. There is none more than Russell Martin. Absolute disgrace that he, how he was treated towards the end. Yeah. One of the all-time greats, in my humble opinion. Um, and Joe Delft does not agree with you, Paddy. He says Whitaker was absolute pony. Was <laughs> he? Not in the playoff final, he wasn't. He wasn't in the playoff final, which was streamed last week, wasn't it? And people were... Um, were uh, enjoying that a lot. Um, I did see someone, I can't spot it now, but he was saying that Whitaker had sort of fallen to the same um, treatment as Martin because they were both really championship players who they persevered within the Premier League, but that might be a little bit harsh. So, Chris, um, who springs to mind for yourself? Well, initially I wrote down Fraser Forster, but um, I think he probably was appreciated uh, in the end. I think it was just a... a my brain was hijacked by the thought I would like him to stay. But I'm going to go for Chris Martin. Um, Local boy. Well, yeah, that was one of his problems. I always felt <laughs> back in the day that Norwich City fans sometimes weren't particularly gracious to the local products. But I always thought Ian Henderson got a bit of a rough ride. I think more recently, the Murphy twins got a bit of a rough ride. Mm. Um, and Chris Martin off-field did. Chris Martin didn't help himself through no fault of his own, because of his body language. He did look like he couldn't be probably bothered at times. But that, I don't think that's true. It's just the way, it was a physicality thing. It's just the way he looked. But, I mean, he came into the side, Peter Grant uh, pushed him in, he pushed him in, put him in in early 2005 when Ernie, Robert Earnshaw, was injured. Was it 2005, early doors there? Yeah, I guess it would be about then, wouldn't it? it or maybe a, maybe a year or two later. And he that. didn't have anybody else. And he, he put him in. And, and and Chris Martin scored quite a few goals in a short period of time as a young man. And I thought he was really good. A good player. He's had a good career. And if you watch him play now, he he's a clever footballer. He's not he's not um, scoring an awful lot of goals, but he's a real clever player. I, I would say that his teammates really enjoy playing with him. Um, I just don't think he was particularly appreciated as a Norwich City footballer. Um, and I think he should have been. So, 
Yeah, it's candidate for what was it most underrated? Underrated slash underappreciated. That's all. Yeah, of I vibe. think I think Chris Martin should have been a lot better uh, regarded. Yeah, he played a major part in in the Lambert back to back promotions, didn't he? And yeah, he, he was a he was a good player. I think I don't know if there's something about with local players because because Todd's had it a bit as well and. Whether whether there's maybe a bit of jealousy involved in seeing a local lad making it, maybe yeah. that you know people went to school with him and said and say, oh yeah, he was always the best at school, and you know groaned about that sort of jealousy side of things. Yeah, I don't know. I I I I never understood it, but I did see it. I thought Henderson was the one who got it worse personally. Um, yeah. But uh, I I never saw it, but I heard it. Uh, when I say I never saw it, I never I never understood why it happened um obviously not everybody went to school with them so (laughs) i think hendo's problem was being played out on the right wasn't it when he was a striker as we've as we've seen um ryan jarvis had the um, career really he has yeah yeah and and ryan jarvis well i think uh he's had a great career as well he's still really really playing well in his early 30s yeah, he, he suffered from the body language thing as well at Norwich, didn't he? People but it's, sort of that's said, just a physical thing. You can't help yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. There's no way a footballer goes out there and doesn't try because they get found out pretty damn quick. Mm. There's lots uh, of different styles. Yeah. I, I like the Stephen Whitaker one, actually, because I, I felt he was... Sometimes there's a villain, isn't there? Russ became a villain in the end, and I think Stephen Whitaker was an easy target for some people, and that feeling spreads. And yeah. they get unfairly uh, uh, regarded. And I think Stephen Whitaker never, ever didn't give his all for Norwich City. Um, and he'll get crap for it. You know? So, not good. OK. Right, well, let's set the new poser then. Um, we're going to go for weird and wonderful moments at Norwich City games. And we're looking for, you know, the, your funny moments, the ones that stand out, you know, Johnny House and picking up a pigeon or whatever. Um, so we've all, I hope I haven't just given away any of yours, <laughs> but we've all got our suggestions. And then if you can get in touch with us, probably Twitter's the best place, you know, where we are at Pinkin. We'll put out a tweet specifically about this. And um, we want to hear your sort of weird and wonderful moments for Norwich games because we are, although we're missing it, football isn't just about football, is it? It's about those fun moments, the strange moments, the things that stand out. So, um, Connor, shall I come to you first? What, what springs to mind? Sure, this is this is probably the one I struggle with the most, actually, uh, in terms of trying to think of something. But I, I did come up with one in the end. Uh, I want to. He's gone. He's gone. He's back. We lost you there. Am mate. I with you? Okay. Good. Yeah, you're back, mate. I think I've got some dodgy connection there this morning because I've already had to move to the phone. But there's um, all those yeah, students um, in your flat. It is, yeah. Um, I'll take you back to, to 2016. Norwich were, were playing Newcastle at Carrow Road. Uh, the ball gets cleared out for, I think it was a throw-in at the time, into the Newcastle away support. The ball uh, then, with the Newcastle fans, uh, they decide that they're going to play a game of catch between themselves for, for about five minutes. And all the Norwich players are looking desperately towards the touchline for a, a new ball to, to come in. Um, it doesn't. I think in the end, a ball does come from the fourth official and then the ball gets thrown back on. Robbie Brady, then and Norwich had a free kick at the time, so Robbie Brady's lined up to take the free kick. He curls it in and Tim Closer heads it into the back of the net. But uh, I remember the, the response from the Norwich fans towards the Newcastle fans uh, was uh, was quite an enjoyable one at, at, at that point. So that's that's what I've gone with. I'm sure that I'll probably be sat here later and, and there'll be something else that springs <laughs> to mind. But that, that was the only one that really I could I could think of when I was thinking about this this morning. So... That's uh, that's my answer. 
like it. That's the sort of thing we're looking for. Pad, for anything spring to mind for you? No, you're not going to beat the Johnny Arson Pigeon at West Ham. I mean, <laughs> absolute. You couldn't even in your most uh, obtuse thought process come up with a, a game where... The, <laughs> was it the Premier League game? It must have been, yeah. West yeah, Ham, West Ham, wasn't it? Premier League yeah. game interrupted by a pigeon. <laughs> one, thing, one thing. And then the pigeon whispering himself, Johnny Arson calmly <laughs> on the pitch. <laughs> Just wandered over, you know, like he was out for a walk on the Yorkshire Dales or whatever, you know, and uh, yeah, he never lived that down, did he? But um, Johnny Arson, what a boy, yeah, going off on a tangent, I remember we had some Colney interview with him and what had he been doing when he was injured and he said I was painting the house with my dad or whatever, you know, just the sort of most un-Premier League footballer type person you could hope to meet. I can't honestly think of anything that would rival that. I mean, there was the bizarre fans throwing season tickets at Brian Gunn. It hadn't happened too often, had it? You know, the, uh, the infamous Colchester game. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'd have to go back to my Cov supporting days. I remember watching a game once and that absolute world-class West Indian cricketer, Brian Lara, uh, he just appeared behind the goal, walking around the perimeter pitch at Eiffel Road. And just... <laughs> Well, I say appeared. I mean, basically, that Cobb were playing Villa and he was massive mates with uh, Dwight York at the time. Okay. Obviously, both from the same part of the Caribbean and uh, Dwight York obviously starring for Villa. Um, and literally everybody in the home end where I was sat, just bearing in mind he was there with a Villa person, just applauded. I think it was just around that time where he'd set that world record, is it 300-odd, against England in the Test match. And uh, right. just an absolute, you know one of the best cricketers ever to grace the game and just to see him in the inauspicious surroundings of Highfield Road was all a bit random. So, yeah, that's that's the one that springs to my mind as a football fan. But, yeah, I, I seriously couldn't. I could I could go into a darkened room for 24 hours and I wouldn't come up with anything better than Johnny House and, and the West Ham Pigeon. That's I've nice to Brian Lara one. I've got another bird-related one. I don't know if you remember. I can't remember what the game was at Carrow Road, but there was a, was it a goose? I think that was just yeah, 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 Carrow Road. I can't yeah. remember what game it was, but it was, it was Swindon in the League Cup. There we go. Yeah, that that was quite a random one. Yeah, everyone was just busy watching the goose, weren't they? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, as you mentioned, Coventry there, Pat. I realise that we've swapped colours here. I'm wearing sky blue, and you're wearing <laughs> green and yellow. Yeah, but unfortunately, it's New York Cosmos, so I haven't changed <laughs> allegiance to that degree. degree Very nice. Yeah. You just reminded me of one, actually, while you were talking. Um, Chris, did you cover the 2002 playoff final? Yeah. Yeah, well, you've, you've uh, seen this as well. And um, I always joke to my best mate that we've seen Atomic Kitten in concert. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because or they played it at half-time. day, Atomic Who. Yeah. <laughs> it was the most irrelevant piece of music and theatre or whatever you've ever seen. It Nobody was very odd. a blind bit of notice. In an absolutely boiling hot Millennium Stadium because yeah. the roof was closed and it, and yeah, it was just it was ludicrous. It was like being in a jungle. But uh, yeah, my um, my best mate and his wife came over for dinner a couple of months ago and I dropped that into the conversation. I was like, "Oh yeah, me and Joe have seen Atomic Kitten live." And she was, what? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how live they were, Dave. Well, yeah, yeah, a good point. Good point. Um, Chris, your your well, nomination. Uh, I mean, Brian Lara at Highfield Road is all very well, but uh, Mike Tyson of London Road beats that for me. There you go. Um, nice. I wasn't there, sadly. I have seen, uh, bizarrely, uh, away from Norwich, I've seen a, an international footballer playing club football, came out for the second half of the game, out of the tunnel, and smoke was coming out of his mouth. 
because he just put his <laughs> cigarette out. <laughs> but uh, that's by the by. I, I'm I'm sort of struggling on this one. I I I, I uh, written down the uh, ticket throwing um, incident in 2009. Very sad in a way. Yeah. But the, it was bizarre as well because the person who stopped the ticket throws was Ian Culverhouse. Um, yeah. Poor old Gunny stood there watching it all and Lambert. develop a few yards away. Yeah, Cully was sort of first in there, uh, and Lambert, who we know likes a bit of a ruck um, at that part of the football pitch, um, <laughs> at Carrow Road, um, he, he didn't join in as much. I'm really surprised about that. He probably knew what was coming a week later. Um, I was at Carrow Road in 2005. Was it 2005? Man City? And uh, Lesby Avenue. Ah, yes. Of course. I was in the loop. So a prime I candidate. See, I didn't see it or hear it. Yeah, I, I can't did. Believe it. I Where did. were you? I was in the loop. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, when you're covering the footy match, you, you only have one opportunity if you need to go to the loop. That's, that's very time. true. Yeah, that's very um, true. So yeah, I missed that, and that's that's sort of sad. I I, I don't know. I mean, I saw the pigeon thing on TV. Um, one of the most bizarre Norwich City stories, not an incident, um, was Carlo Nash and his, um, his rush to be or not to be the player of the season a few years ago. Um, <laughs> yeah. I quite like that, but um, no, well, I, I don't know. I, 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 the I the Delia I incident, I was, um, I was a season ticket holder in Lower Barclay at that point. Um, and normally at halftime, I'd have disappeared off for a beer, but I think... I had work or something after the game. Like I was, I was on my moped at the time because I think I was sixteen or seventeen, so I couldn't have another beer. So I just stayed up, and I would never normally watch what was going on at half time. But that day, I happened to have stayed in my seat, mm. and I remember as she came out, just being like, "What is going on?" Here? Yeah. Um, yeah, she'll never live that one down. I, th- I, I, got... I did watch the 2015, 2015 playoff semi final against Ipswich uh, amongst Ipswich fans, but bizarrely in the South Stand. Because um, I was a guest of a former editor of ours from that part of the world. You'll know who I mean. Yeah. Who invited <laughs> a lot of his friends, but didn't tell me that they were all Ipswich fans. Oh, so there no. were 11 people, and one person wanted Norwich City to win, and the rest wanted Ipswich to win in the South Stand. One it's... of them wasn't Ed Sheeran, was it? <laughs> what? No. No, no, no. God, I don't know. You wouldn't I would... have known if it was. <laughs> no, I <wouldn't. laughs> Uh, that was quite interesting, but I, I think it's got to be the weirdest thing ever. It's got to be uh, Delia, that rant, you know, and yeah. it is a rant. I mean, if, if you look into the Oxford English Dictionary under rant, you'll see a picture of Delia. It's that thing, you know, it's it was a rant. Yeah, Good absolutely. Um, all right. Well, my one and then we'll throw it over to you guys. Um, the, the funnier, the better. Um, for me, the first one that sprang out was Spud as the fourth official a couple mm. of years ago against Preston. Um, the... Officials have to change it around. They need a new fourth official. And we're all in the press box. Like, What's going on? What's going on? And then who is it that comes up in his jeans? None, none other than columnist, sort of famous fan, David Spud Thornhill. And just the smile on his face. But in the, in the press That's box. That's always there. In, in sort of unison, when we all realised, we all just went, he's Spud. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone quickly starts typing away and putting it out on Twitter and stuff, don't they? But... That moment when he had to help hold up the uh, the board for the added time, and was it ten minutes added time or something like that, something stupid? And he tried to look serious, held it up, tried to look as if 
a fistful <laughs> as he could, and his smile slowly broke out as everyone <laughs> cheered. And that was just a wonderful moment that, you know, sort of had very little to do with the football, but I'll always remember it. Was, it was so funny. And he, he became like a celebrity overnight, didn't he? He was all the nationals who wanted to talk to him and everything. So there's loads of this sort of stuff out there. And we want to hear the, the weird and wonderful, the funnier, the better. And as I say, um, Twitter is probably the best place to uh, get in touch. Uh, just finally then, guys, just a bit of a catch up with what you boys have been busy doing on the uh, sports desk. Connor, you've uh, interviewed another 50 or so former Norwich players, I'd imagine. Feels like that. Yeah, feels like that. I'm trying <laughs> to think who we've had in the last week. Michael Nelson, that, that was yesterday. I uh, went up yesterday. Um, Daryl Russell, that was good. Daryl Russell, yeah. Yeah, that was a good one, actually. He was, uh, he was very good. Um, I think that's in podcast form, so it's worth checking it out because it's... Uh, He's quite honest, actually, and um, uh, it was uh, it was it was good to hear from him actually because he's not someone we hear too much from. So I think they're the two this week. Javier uh, Garrido was that? Javier Garrido, yeah, that's yeah. another one. Thanks, Dave. Good job you're here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, Javier Garrido was, was another one. Um, good to hear from him, albeit via email because his English isn't isn't the best. But uh, he he said some nice things about the club as well, and he's he's gone into coaching and. And stuff like that. So uh, that that was good. So I think I think unless you're going to remind me of any more, that's that was the three of this week. I think just just remind us of the gist of, of Russell. He he was talking about that phase when when Rhoda was playing him as a striker, wasn't he? And how difficult he found that. Yeah, he, he said it, it, it. He felt it effectively damaged his reputation, both in the game and also how the how the supporters viewed him. Um, so that was interesting in terms of that spell as well. I think he. He essentially said that the, the players didn't like Dan Roder much, which I'm sure is, is probably not news to, to a lot of people. But um, I, th- I think it was a very difficult spell for him personally, but, but also for the club. Um, he, he then spoke about being put on gardening leave um, just before Paul Lambert came in. And I think it was that summer and, and that process and how difficult that was for him and how he felt let down, I think, were, were the words he used at, at that point. So there's a lot of really good, honest stuff that are there as well. And, and even... The way he talks about sort of in, when he came through and, and playing under Brian Hamilton and how, how difficult he found that and, and, and that relationship, that was interesting as well. So there's really good stuff in there, actually, from, from Daryl. I think it's, it's about an hour long. So if you're looking to kill some time in, in isolation, that's, that's well worth a listen. And Pad, you had a chat with a real Norwich character in Bill Punton. That's one word I'd use from Dave, yeah. <laughs> 85 still going strong. I didn't put it in, actually. I was a bit concerned, but he's telling me he's doing a four-mile walk every day. Given the restrictions that are on certain uh, age groups, I thought I'd leave that one out. Otherwise, he might have the constabulary around his house. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no, he's fighting fit. And the hook on that, of course, was where we are now. The only thing that's anywhere near comparable in terms of football shutting down mid-season was since the war, since the Second World War, was the great freeze of 62-63, which was Norwich played one league game in two months. Uh, and it was also a nice parallel with the current season. They, the year they got to an FA Cup quarterfinal at home to Leicester, uh, which still is Norwich's record power road attendance, just under 44,000. Terry Alcott missed the penalty against the great Gordon Banks. Leicester won the game, went on to go all the way to Wembley. So just got Bill's thoughts on that. And actually this morning, I've got it in front of me now, I've had a, an email from uh, a guy who was at the game, prompted by that article, Trevor Leader. I just want to read a little section of this out because it's lovely obviously the world we live in now we, we have uh, maybe younger demographics who consume our content online and social media but you know our older readers as well actually chimed with them uh, he said he was 16 at the time although living near this 
he wasn't going to miss the game. In those days, we went in the river end. It was open standing. Um, I like this bit. The thing that sticks in Trevor's memory was the tannoy announcer saying, beware of pickpockets. So I, don't know what, I don't know quite know what that says about a Norwich supporters at that time. He says, we were so tightly packed in, you couldn't even get your hand in your pockets. So I don't think they needed to worry. Um, and he also recollects they played uh, played Stoke that season and the legendary Sir Stanley Matthews was playing. So uh, great memories, as Trevor says. Um, and like I say, I mean, Bill was recalling, you know, the congestion that then accrued. I think they played five FA Cup ties in, 20 days that that season which was just ridiculous but obviously you know a different time a different era but you know probably the only thing that's comparable there was a nice anecdote from Bill about Norwich didn't have any training facilities so they had to go and play in the old St. Faith's aerodrome hangers um, <laughs> which uh, apparently the four floors were concrete that wouldn't have done a lot with the old joints I don't think uh, <laughs> but yeah no a bygone era nice to, to have a bit of a walk down memory lane with Bill and and the main thing is, as he said, to be fair, to bring it up to date, he thinks I'm taking this full circle now with what we discussed at the start. He thinks you've got to you've got to stop the season now, just abandon it, restart again next season. It's safe to do so. You know, people are people are obviously sadly losing their lives in huge numbers around the world, and football is immaterial in that context. So, for Bill, there shouldn't be any talk of restarting. But he, he knows himself, and he mentioned it. The finances that are involved, sadly, will dictate that these conversations continue to happen. So, yeah, that was that was a nice article this week, and and, um, and hopefully we can pull one or two more of those out as we move forward because I don't think we're going to have any football anytime soon, boys. Absolutely, yeah. Top man, Bill Pun. I've spoken to him a couple of times. He's got a great sense of humour, hasn't he? Um, right. Well, I think that's pretty much um, it for today. And um, we've got, of course, the one-year anniversaries of all the promotion fun and games coming up so that'll be uh, in the next couple of weeks we'll get to sort of relive all that I guess with a with a slight sense of um, uh, sadness really because it'll sort of remind us of all of what we're missing a little bit but um, great memories as well so that will be coming up and uh, the quiz again Friday night 7pm went very well uh, last couple of weeks and Chris uh, Connor's been doing a very good job on that hasn't he and Spud helped out last Friday Absolutely. I tell you what, it's been really enjoyable. Um, yeah, it's it been a good, I know they're difficult times, but I do think, certainly from a very personal point of view, an hour and a half on a Friday night, it's brilliant. Um, yeah, it's good. And it was quite and tough as well. Very good question, Master, except when <laughs> things fall down in his cupboard behind him um, <laughs> and the cats appear. But um, well, no, it's really good. Yeah. Yeah, some of them are tough. I thought uh, Spud who has every right to produce 10 very difficult questions, was really good. Um, the, when he said they're multiple choice, I could have sang hallelujah, frankly, because, <laughs> you know, you're not going to be that dumb. <laughs> if he hadn't yeah. done that, I'd have been struggling. But no, it's really good fun. Um, yeah, I don't think we need to urge people to listen to it. It is that good. They It, it should be just up there on a Friday night with a bit of Peter Kay at 9.30 and at 10 o'clock Friday night dinner. <laughs> uh, well, I got 26 out of 50, so that shows that it was reasonably difficult. Uh, Pad got 31, Chris 29, Spud got 32 out of 40 because he can't uh, be judged, of course, on his own round. But I got um, I got four marks, but then I know the answers. Well so done, mate. Let's make it easy. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, I think my, we got uh, a couple wrong, frankly, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, seven o'clock on Friday, um, and you can watch that by, by Twitter or on Pinkton.com. 
is the place to be and that's uh, a good bit of fun right thank you very much chaps look after yourselves and thank you very much for listening we're, again we we hope that this at least provides a little bit of football familiarity even though we haven't got any football to talk about um but to be quite frank i'd be happy to be doing a live blog on a 2020 game down a village green at the moment if we could just have a <laughs> just have a little bit of football or, or sport or whatever that would be yeah, that would be nice but um we'll try and keep things moving in the meantime thank you very much for listening we will catch up with you very soon.